What a beautiful song, and thank you, Jenny, for that song. <clears throat> I still remember my great-uncle, Irvin Mars, who used to love to sing that song. And that song has special memories for me and special encouragement, and every time I hear it, I get blessed, don't you? I mean, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And don't we have a lot of people that care for us? We have mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and and brothers and sisters in Christ, and all kinds of friends, and, 
and people we come into contact with, but no one, no one ever cared for us like Jesus. He showed his love on the cross and died for our sins to show how much he loved us and to save us and take us home to heaven. And we're thankful for that. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you that he came down in love to die on the cross for us. And we thank you that we can say, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And we thank you that we can say today also, it is well with my soul because we have Jesus in our hearts. And no matter what happens to us in this world, we have something to look forward to that is far greater and far better to be in your presence forever. We thank you the little Jazzy has gone there ahead of us, and many other saints, Lord, over the years have gone home, and it's going to be a great reunion when we get there, and we're going to be most of all with you, Lord Jesus, in your presence. And we pray now that you will speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. May we have listening ears and open hearts to receive the message that you have for us today. Lord, please hide me behind the cross, and may the Holy Spirit have a message for every heart here today. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, the story is told of a couple that were out walking, and they were overtaken by a storm, and so they decided to take shelter in a neighboring church, and they went in there as they were having a special service for what they would say as Sunday school scholars. And these, these children were going through what they call the catechism. And there was a vicar there, and he was talking to the children, and he asked them a very interesting question. What is a miracle? What is a miracle? And so a little girl put up her hand first. She raised up her hand. And as any teacher or leader knows, you always call on the one who raises their hand first. And he said, okay, go ahead. What is your definition? What is a miracle? And she said this, something we can't do, but Jesus can. I thought that was better than any scholarly, theological answer anyone could ever give. But apparently the vicar did not consider it quite what he was looking for in the answer, and he didn't feel that it was an answer. It needed more of a, to be spoken in more dignified English, and so he asked the other children, and they gave the standard answer that it is a parable in action. And so to me, that leaves it very, very uh, short, right? And so the man left that day very cold in his heart, and he kept thinking what this little girl said. A miracle is something we can't do, but Jesus can. That's a true miracle. And the title of our message today is, God Still Does Miracles Today. When God chooses to do it, and it's His perfect will, He can do miracles. He can do things that humans cannot do. When it comes down to it, and medical science says we have no hope, there is hope in Jesus. When people say this is not going to work, it's impossible, it can't be done, there is no way, we say God is still able to do miracles today. God's powerful. He's omnipotent. 
And omnipotent means he's all-powerful. There's nothing that he cannot do. And we're thankful. And a lot of times people use the term miracle very loosely. Miracles on ice, for instance, when the United States defeated the Russians in hockey, I mean, it was a great win, don't get me wrong, and I was all for it, and I was so happy because the Russians were like a professional team, and they were strong, and they were powerful, and they scored a lot of goals, but when they played the Americans, the Americans were made up of a college team, and they were coached by, um, I mean, basically, these people were not known in the hockey world. And they stunned the world. They shocked the world. A lot of times athletes will say that. We shocked the world. We upset the other team. And it's a great upset. But it's not a miracle. A miracle is something that we can't do that only God can do. And maybe you're here today and you need a miracle. You know that something is squeezing you and pressing you and on your heart and you don't see any way out. You don't see any way it can be done. People have told you it's not going to work. God still does miracles today. And we're thankful for it. And we've seen it with our eyes. We've seen it in our own lives and we've seen it in the lives of people we have known over the years in our church. We've seen miracles be done where you can't explain it. There's no way it should have happened. And we're thankful that God is still in the miracle business today. Today we're going to study about a woman whose name is not mentioned in the scriptures. In 2 Kings 2, uh, chapter 4 and verses 8 through 37, she's known simply as the Shunammite woman. She was from a city called Shunem in Israel, and so she was called a Shunammite. She was married, she had a husband who was old, and we're going to see her story to see the highs and we're going to see the lows, just like we go through highs and lows in our life, don't we? Sometimes we're on the top of the mountain, on the peak, and everything is just great and fantastic and wonderful. Other times, and maybe sometime right after the mountaintop, we come down to the valley, we come down to reality, we come down to the real world where there's pain and suffering and death, and we face it, but we face it with the Lord. He still works miracles today. So we're going to read today from 2 Kings, verses 4, 8 through 37. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, or it can be translated a great woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And, said, and she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us that he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned in to the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, now say to her, look, you have been very concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on, to you, on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. 
So he said, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, nine months, you're going to embrace a son. Now imagine this woman who can't have children, who's probably getting older. It says her husband is old. She's probably not a spring chicken either. And he says to her, you're going to embrace a son in this time next year. No, my Lord, she says, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Don't pull my leg. Don't tease me. Don't, don't uh, say something like this. But Elisha was very serious about it. And it says, but when the woman conceived and bore a son, and when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her, and the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his ser servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on, his, on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Then he called to her husband and she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace unless I tell you. Then she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went to the head of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. It's not working, Elisha. Not working. Now when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door between the two of them and prayed to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. That's the key. And he went up and laid on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again, and went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed, and I love this, 
I love the scriptures. It is so detailed. He sneezed seven times. And that's neat because seven is the number of completion and perfection. So when this little child came back to life, he sneezed not once, not twice or three, seven times. And the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Quite a story. When we talk about a miracle of giving this Shunammite woman her heart's desire in a son, and then to see him die, and what God can do to raise him up from the dead. So we're going to look at five things this morning briefly. Number one, she showed an amazing hospitality and care for Elisha, the man of God, the prophet. Number two, she demonstrated a true contentment with her lot in life. Number three, she had a great need for a son. And number four, God gave, and God gave her that desire. And number four, her son died and she went up to Elisha for help. And number five, Elisha raised her son back from the dead and gave him back to his mother. You know, when you think about miracles, you think about definitions. Now, to me, I still think that little girl's definition is the best one, believe me. Something that we can't do that only Jesus can. But there are some other good definitions. One of them is from the dictionary, of course, and it says an event or action that apparently contradicts known scientific laws and hence is thought to be supernatural. Uh, come, due to supernatural causes, especially an act of God, a remarkable event or thing, marvel. So that's the first definition, and that's a good definition. I like it, but I like the second one better. The second one is a more spiritual definition, and it says a miracle is an event occurring in the natural world, observed by the senses, produced by divine power, without any adequate human or natural cause, the purpose of which is to reveal the will of God and to do good to man. It is, like I said, though, as great as even that definition is, I still like the little girl. To me, I call her the little theologian because she said it's something we can't do that Jesus can. And I praise God that is true in our life. And Elisha the prophet, remember before Elijah went home to heaven in the chariot of fire? Elisha asked him for a double portion of his spirit. And Elisha said, you're asking, Elijah said, you're asking for a lot. He said, but if you see me when I go up, you're going to have your request. And sure enough, he saw him, and God did give him a double portion of the spirit and power of Elijah. And Elijah was a strong prophet. He was a mighty man of God. He did himself miracles through the power of the Lord. And here Elijah, his protege, his pupil, his servant, does even more amazing things than even than Elijah did. And he did things for people personally that changed lives. And that's what's so encouraging here. And here you find a woman who is a Shunammite woman. It said that she's a notable woman. She's a great woman. She was probably very well respected in the community. Everybody knew her. She was a godly woman. And so when she had the opportunity, and she saw that Elisha 
came by that way, let's invite him to dinner. Let's invite the prophet for dinner. He's a man of God. And it reminded me in the year of 1979, when I came to Danville and I was living in Bill Murray's garage, that's where I first, that was my first accommodations in the, in the city of Danville. And Bill is laughing because I lived in the garage. I had my desk there and I had a little place to sleep. And I was in Bill's garage. And then I moved in later with a brother named Roger Pursuit. But near the area was Adel and Sylvia's house. And they invited me to come in. And they didn't know me that well at that point in time. But they treated me so well. Adel would make me special cheese sandwiches, remember. Sylvia would make these great Lebanese dinners, and they would have me come in, and I became like part of the family. We know the story, but we're very thankful. And the point of it is, when you have a spirit of hospitality like she did, like the Ackles did, like many people did, it's an opportunity to show the love of Christ to others. And that's what she did. She didn't want to miss the opportunity to bless the man of God, to serve the man of God, to care for him. And so she thought, this is a wonderful thing. Whenever he comes, he sits down, he gives thanks for the food, we have great fellowship with him, but you know, we're not doing enough for him. So she said to her husband, honey, we need to build something for him, a little room for him that he can stay in, and we can put up there, it'll build it on the wall, because they used to be near, have walled cities and they'd have a little room on the wall. And so he, they built this wall in Shunem there, where he could go and stay. He could rest, he could sleep, he could... Uh, meditate and pray and all those kinds of things. And they said, we're going to put in this little room. We're going to put a table there. We're going to put a chair there. We're going to put a lamp there. And we're going to put a bed there. So whenever Elisha comes, and of course his servant Gehazi was always with him too, and they would come and they would visit there, and it was a wonderful thing. Well, this was a wonderful woman. She was a great woman, and she had a tremendous sense of hospitality. It kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 17 and verse 4, where it talks about the leading women of the city. It said where Paul was preaching the gospel in Acts 17, 4, and some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And Bill McDonald used to teach us years ago, and it's so true, that wherever the gospel is preached, it always elevates the plight and the, and the status of women. You know, uh, it's still today, women in many cultures, in many religions, they're put down. They're not given their rights. They're not given anything. But when Jesus came, he made man and woman equal. He said there's no difference between the male and the female. They're both equal in Jesus Christ. And so whenever the gospel is preached and people get saved, it elevates their position. It elevates them in the world. And we're so thankful. And so she persuaded Elisha to come and stay there, and he would love to do it, and every time he came, he would do it. And so Elisha, he was so thankful that she demonstrated this, this wonderful care for him that she said, we've got to do something for her. We've got to do something for her. So let's call her in and ask her, what would you like us to do for you? Because Elisha was a man of God, and he could say things to the king or the commander of the army, and they would listen to him because he had direct communication with the Lord. And so he said, Elisha says, well, do you want me to speak to the king on your behalf? That'd be a pretty great thing, wouldn't it, if you could say to the king, um, well, can you talk to the king for me so he'll give me some, some funds here? We can do this or do that. No, I don't need that. Well, how about you want me to talk to the commander of the army, maybe give your husband an exemption from having to serve, or do you want 
what do you want? She says, no, I dwell among my own people. And that phrase, I dwell among my own people, teaches us that she had a true contentment with her lot in life. Now, she had everything a woman could ask for, right? She had a good husband, a wonderful home. She lived in a great city. She was a notable woman, a great woman. She had everything from an earthly standpoint you could ever ask, but she was missing one thing. And that one thing is she didn't have a son. And to an Israelite woman, to not have a child was bad, but to not have a son, they considered the son special, to not have a son was very, very difficult. And yet she had somehow accepted her lot that somehow this might not be God's will for her to have a son. So she didn't really have it foremost in her mind that she would say, yes, give me a son. So Elisha says, hmm, there's got to be something, there's got to be something. So Gehazi says to her, you know what? She has no son, and her husband is old. So Elisha said, okay. So call her in. And he calls her in, and he says, this time next year, whatever her name was, she's unnamed, we'll meet her in heaven, you're going to have a son. Can you imagine the news that came back to her that was so overwhelming to her, she couldn't handle it. I mean, that she couldn't contain it in her heart. Me have a son? They told me I can't have a son. I've, I've gotten to this age now where I haven't been able to do it. There's no way. There wasn't in vitro fertilization in those days. There weren't things, these procedures that people do nowadays to, to get pregnant. It was either you got pregnant or you didn't get pregnant. And so she couldn't believe it. But he says, it's going to happen. And so guess what? She conceived, and nine months later, she gave birth to a son. Again, he's unnamed. We don't know the name of the father, or we don't know the name of the son, or the Shunammite woman. But can you imagine the joy in that household? That now there's a cry of a baby in the house? Now there's, there's a little one that's walking around, and he's learning to walk, and he's learning to talk, and he's... he's he looks like his mom and his dad, and they're just thrilled and just so happy because God had done a miracle for them. I love what it says in Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes when we have prayer meetings on Monday, we have unspoken requests. Things that are so personal to us that we can't even bring them up. We just have them in our heart. We pray, Lord, answer this unspoken request. And then when the Lord answers the unspoken request, we usually say, give, I give thanks for an unspoken request that was answered. Sometimes we'll say what the request was after the fact. Sometimes we won't. But she had this unspoken request. She had this yearning, this desire down deep in her heart that she didn't even express, maybe had not even told her husband or anybody else how she really felt. But doesn't it remind you of what God the miracles that he did for, the, for these women in the Bible. Think about Sarah. Sarah had no son, and she was 90 years old, and her husband was even older than that, Abraham. He was 100 years old, and yet they had a child, and they had Isaac. And then you think about Hannah, who longed to have a son, and she went there to Eli at the temple, and she prayed, and Eli said, you're going to have your request. And sure enough, she had her request, and God gave her Samuel, the great man of God and prophet and priest and judge. 
And then we think in the New Testament, how the angel came and promised Elizabeth that she would have a son. Her husband, Zacharias, didn't believe it, and the Lord struck him with muteness for that whole nine-month period. He couldn't speak. And when he finally could speak, they say, well, what do you want to call him? And his name is John. And it was such a great miracle. And God did a miracle for this Shunammite woman. He did a miracle for Sarah. He did a miracle for Hannah and Elizabeth and all the ones that were praying. And when God does miracles, and he specializes in them, he does wonderfully, and he does it completely, and he does it to the glory of God. God still does miracles today. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. The same God who did the miracle here is one who does miracles in our lives today, and we're thankful for that. One day, Mary and Martha's son, uh, brother Lazarus got sick, and he was sick to the point of death, very ill. And they sent word to Jesus to come and help because Jesus had healed many people of sicknesses before. So they thought, well, we'll call Jesus. Certainly, he'll handle it. But Jesus purposely stayed away for three days to allow him to die so that he would do an even greater miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, which is even greater miracle. And when Jesus spoke to his disciples while they were away before they went to, to, to where Lazarus was in the tomb, said, this sickness, it says in John eleven four, is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And we're thankful that Jesus went there, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And when Jesus met Mary and he met Martha there at their home, they were both very sad, very sad. Their brother had died. He'd been four days in the grave. And Jesus came and raised him from the dead and did a beautiful, beautiful miracle. God has done many miracles. And you can read them in the Bible and you can see them and they give such encouragement. Aren't you glad? I was just thinking as Jenny was singing that song about no one ever cared for me like Jesus. You know, God could have given us the Bible, couldn't he? And in the Bible, just mentioned all the facts. Just give me the facts. This fact, this fact, this fact, cover to cover, read it over, you'll have everything you need. No. He puts people into it. So people not, so he not only gives us the truth, but he gives us people who live the truth, who went through these experiences, so we can relate to them, so we can feel with them and say, wow, they're going through, they went through something I'm going through. And so they weren't perfect, I'm not perfect, and so God is able and he does these things in our lives. And I love a song, and Sylvia used to sing this years ago, and we even sang it in our choir, and the title of this song is, Don't Give Up on the Brink of a Miracle. And some of the words of this song go like this, Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give in, God is still on the throne. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up. Remember, you're not alone. You know, the devil wants to make you think you're all alone and you're the only person going through this and nobody else is going through it. Everybody else is fine, which is so such a lie. And, and, and God doesn't care about you and he's too busy for you and he's got other things to care about. He doesn't care about you. If he really loved you, he wouldn't allow you to go through these things. But certainly, when God does these things, he knows that he is with us and he's going to see us through. But just when life seemed it couldn't get any better for the Shunammite, she was so happy, her husband's happy, the child, everything is just going so well. All of a sudden, the boy goes out into the field 
with his father, to his father, it says, to the reapers, because they used to reap the wheat and the other crops that they had in those days, and immediately starts feeling it in his head. My head, my head. A lot of people believe this was a severe sunstroke, some kind of stroke, some kind of severe thing that struck him. And it's interesting to me that in verse 8 and in verse 18, we have the same words, now it happened one day. Now it happened one day he met the Shunammite. Now it happened one day that the Shunammite's son died because they carried him to his mother and he was there on his mother's knees, it says, until noon and then he passed away. Oh, can you imagine the grief? Can you imagine the sorrow? Can you, the agony of that when they brought the news to the Shunammite that your son is dead? I mean, she... How could this happen? God gave me this son. How could he give it and then he take it, takes it away? Reminds me in the book of Job how when Job went through all those trials, it says he didn't give up. He didn't give into it. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so it was, but it was hard for this Shunammite to take it. And so she said to her husband, I want to have a servant. I need a servant and I need a donkey and we need to go visit the man of God. Well, he says, well, why are you going now? It's not the new moon or any other festival that we celebrate. Why are you going to him now? And she says these three words, it is well. It is well. And it's amazing because a lot of commentators and different people saying she was lying. She was being deceptive. It wasn't well. The boy was dead. Well, how could it be well? But I don't believe it. I believe that like the hymn writer Horatio Spafford wrote, it is well with my soul. It was definitely not well with her circumstances. It was definitely not well with the things she was feeling and going through. But it was well that she had the Lord in her life and she knew something was going to happen as a result of this. She didn't know what, but she knew she had to get to the man of God. She didn't try any other solution on her own. And usually the first thing we do is we try our own plans, right? We try our own solutions, we try our own plans first, and when they all fail and they all crumble and they fall at our feet, then we say, I guess we better pray about it. What we need to do is we need to pray first, not last. We need to go to the Lord about it first and ask for His help. That's what we need to do. And so we see here that she goes off to the prophet and she sees Gehazi there. And she then uh, says the same words when he said, because Elisha asked Gehazi, ask her how everything is going. Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And again, she says for the second time. First she said it to her husband, now she says it to the Gehazi. She says, it is well. How many of us can look tragedy in the eye and still say, it is well with my soul? Can we find sorrows and sorrows and difficulties and, and hard times that we go through and losses? Can we still trust the Lord, still love Him and thank Him even for what He allows in our life? That shows our faith and it shows our growth, and she said it is well. But when she gets to Elisha, she tells him what happened, and he sends back Gehazi, the servant, to take his staff and lay it on the boy uh, and raise him up from the dead. 
But for some reason, it didn't work. And it reminds me of the disciples when they were there with Jesus and, and uh, he took up to the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and James and John, and then the other disciples were down below there. And when he got down, there was a big commotion and they said, the, the man said, my child is here, and he throws himself into the fire, he's demon-possessed and all these things, and your disciples could not heal him. And then Jesus, in his love and mercy, healed that boy and cast out the demon, and God is able and more than able to do it. And we're thankful for that. And so we thank the Lord that he comes back, Elisha comes back, and he does this great miracle for her. Miracle number two. I like in this story that you have two miracles. You have the miracle of the giving of the son, where she couldn't have a son. That's miracle number one. And then he does miracle number two, that he raises that son from the dead and gives her back, gives him back to his mother. That, to me, is a double miracle, and it shows that God cares, and God has a plan, and God has a will for it. And so he comes back, and it's kind of an unusual thing he does. He goes up and he lays on the boy. And he puts his hands on his hands and his eyes on his eyes and his mouth on his mouth. And you say, well, it sounds unusual, but God uses the unusual to do the extraordinary. And that's what he did here. And he raised the son up from the dead. And he had to come up twice. He came back the second time. And then it says, the snot, as I mentioned before, the child, his flesh became warm and he started sneezing seven times. And what a miracle this was. And he raised this boy up. Now, I want to clarify, it was not Elisha who did the miracle. It was God who did the miracle through Elisha. Elisha wasn't one of these kind of miracle people, you know, on TV you see them and they put their hands on the person and the person falls over and, and it makes it look like all the power is coming out of that preacher or that miracle worker. And I remember years ago there was a woman who, who, uh, uh, who used to have her program on and she used to say, I believe in miracles, you know. And we do believe in miracles, but not from man. Not miracles from man. It has to be from God. He has to do the miracle. It's not coming from us. It's not coming from any person. And so it reminds us of the day when Jesus was passing through the little town of Nain, N-A-I-N. And there was a funeral procession going by. And it turns out that the widow's son in the town uh, had died. And she loved her son. And she was following along in the procession. And Jesus was watching it as it was going by. And he said, stop. Stop. And they stopped. And there was the coffin. And they were carrying the boy. And the widow was there. And he laid his hands on him. And he raised that boy. And gave that boy back to his mother, the widow. And that was another similar miracle to what we have here God does miracles, and he doesn't just do miracles to do miracles, but he has a purpose for every miracle he does. Whether it's to show the power of the gospel that they had in the New Testament, or to raise somebody up and give them back to their mother or back to their father, whatever the miracle was, it is always a need that is met. The hymn writer that we have, and we haven't really sang this hymn much, but it's a beautiful one, sang by George Beverly Shea many times, he says, My father is omnipotent, a God of might and miracles. Tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, 
cleansed and made me whole. It took a miracle of love and grace. You know, only God can do that. And I believe the greatest miracle of all, of all the miracles, the greatest miracle that God has ever done is the miracle he did for you and for me when he saved our souls. That, to me, is the greatest miracle. You know, it is because you take a sinner who's dead in transgressions and sins, who doesn't want anything to do with the Lord, an enemy of God, and turn that person into a saved person, forgive their sins, change their life. It's a miracle. One day there was a man who was an alcoholic who became a believer, and he was asked by someone about his belief in the miracle and of the Bible. He's believing that, he says, you don't believe all this nonsense about miracles in the Bible, do you? You don't believe that Jesus turned the water into wine, do you? And the saved man said, I sure do, because in our house, Jesus turned the whiskey into furniture. <laughs> and you know, that's what God does. When he changes lives, he doesn't change it a little bit. He changes it radically. He takes an alcoholic and turns him into a godly man, a, a, new, a new man, a new father. You know, that's what he does. He changes women's lives, makes them the, the person they want them to be. And when he saves our soul and makes us whole, it is a blessing. Back in 1988, they did a survey among people, and they asked them the question, do you, do you believe in miracles? Uh, and so they came up with 82% of the people in 1988 believed that God still does miracles today. I don't know what the numbers would be today, but it was a Princeton Religion Research Center Emerging Trends study that was done. But I believe in miracles. We should all believe in them because we believe in God who doesn't change. May we just be encouraged this morning as we conclude this message that this Shunammite woman was living a good life, a normal life, but she had a need. She had a need for a son, and God raised up a son for her. She was a, a very hospitable woman. She honored God. She honored the prophet. She took care of the prophet. And when you take care of God's servants and you take care of God's people, he promises to take care of you. And that's what he did. And then when he gave her that son, she enjoyed him, but then the son died. She couldn't understand it. She went to the man of God. He came and through the power of God, raised up this boy. And so it was a miracle. It was a miracle. And let's thank God today that he's still working in our lives. He still knows what's best for us. And if God does miracles, we should always thank him for every miracle. And not just the miracles, but the answers to prayer. When he answers our prayers, let's not just go on to the next prayer, but let's thank him for what he did. And then let's go forward, because that is the best way to do it. And if you're here today and you have never experienced the miracle of the new birth, that's what it is, to be born again, to be born of heaven, to be born of the water and of the Spirit, you can come to Jesus today. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants to save your soul and take you to be with him in heaven. But there's a problem. There's a need we have. We have our sins, and our sins will not allow us to go to heaven because God home is undefiled and holy and pure, and no sin can enter heaven. So how can we as sinners go to heaven? The only way is through Jesus Christ who died for us and took away our sins so that we can go to be with him forever. And all we have to do is simply acknowledge it. Acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I've been trying to live my life my own way and get through it, but I can't do it. 
It doesn't work. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept you as my Savior. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins to you. Give me the strength to live the life you want me to live. And if you pray that prayer, he will save you. He will give you a new life. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the Shunammite woman and for her faith, for her hospitality, for how she treated the prophet. We thank you, Lord, for the highs and lows of her life, the high of getting a son, the low of losing him, but then another high of gaining him back again. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you allow trials to go through our lives and you allow times where we just get to a place where we can no longer do it ourselves. We see we need your help. And so we pray for anyone who's not here today who doesn't know the Lord, that they will be saved. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for today. Take us home safely and bless our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.